Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, welcome to Saving Grace Church. If you're new and I haven't met you yet, my name is Bob. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. Let's begin our service with a word of prayer, please. If everybody could bow their heads, I'll lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we can meet around your word. Thank you for this time that we can center our thoughts on Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that as we, as we look into the teaching of Jesus this morning, Father, that you would give us insight, that you would give us uh, relevant application to our own lives so that we can not be just hearers of the word, but that we can be doers of the word. Pray, Father, just reveal different areas in our lives that you want us to prune so that we can become more fruitful and look more like Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help me as I preach, Lord. I declare my dependence upon you to to preach well and teach, so please help me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we are uh, continuing in our series called Disciple, and uh, this message is the second part of of a message that I didn't get finished with last week called Produce. And that is the, the P in Disciple. Each of these are, are characteristics of Jesus' definition of a disciple. We've looked at all of them. We're on the second part of the P now. And we're going to actually finish that up, Lord willing, today in the first half of our time together. And we'll continue with the L, let go. Do, uh, do you guys look at the newspaper anymore? Does anybody look at... That, just Tim, Elaine, a couple, couple of you look at the newspaper. I read it online, and I, I really don't like to read, uh, I, I don't like the news very much because a lot of it's bad news, and uh, I look at the sports page, I look at maybe like the local police blotter section, but I don't, I don't look at the national news too, too much unless something catches my eye, and something did this week. There was a, there was a headline that said, Russian woman accused of poisoning her lookalike with a cheesecake. And I, I couldn't help it. I had to click on that because that, that sounds really interesting. And uh, it, was, it was weird. It was a weird, twisted story of this woman who was wanted for murder in Russia and she moved here to the U.S., to New York City, and she, she scoped out people to find her a person that looked like her so that she could feed them poison cheesecake, and then steal their identification. She, and she actually went through with it, and, but the woman didn't die. The woman just got sick, and uh, the police found this woman with the Russian woman with the other woman's ID, and she was just trying to stay here in the United States so that she could avoid prosecution in Russia. And, and uh, it, it made me think of our passage today. Our passage today in the first half of this message comes from John 15, 8, where Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, people can say they are anyone. You can say anything about yourself, but saying it and proving it are two different things. And that's why this woman went through such an extreme plan to get an identification so that she could prove that she was somebody that she wasn't. And Jesus doesn't give us 
as, as disciples, he doesn't give us a card to hold up or a badge to wear so that we can prove that we're a disciple. That's what this series is all about. This series is about, well, what does Jesus say in the Scriptures are, are the marks of a true disciple? And he says in this verse that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So our discipleship is proven at least in part by the amount of fruit that we bear according to Jesus Christ. And so as, as a little bit of review to, to get us back on track from where we ended up last week, what, what is this fruit? What, what does it mean to bear much fruit? And we talked about how disciples are bearing the fruit, especially that Jesus, that God mentions in His Word in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that their limbs are loaded with things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. So as a disciple, we, we need to bear much fruit, much of this kind of fruit in our lives. Our limbs should be loaded with these kind of, kinds of things. And that's, that's one of the ways that Jesus says that we prove to be his disciple. So in this message, again, same as last week, my goal is to help us all to get there. I want us all to bear a lot of fruit for God. Jesus wants us all to bear a lot of fruit for him. And the way we get there is, is by yielding to the Spirit of God as we talked about last week. Because when we yield to the Spirit of God, He's going to bear fruit through us. We need to surrender to Him. So last week, just to help us kind of look at all this in, a, in an organized way, we talked about seven essentials for fostering much fruit under this heading of produce. And as review, we got through the first four. We talked about the first requirement. This is the foundational requirement for bearing fruit. You've got to have life. A dead seed doesn't germinate. We were dead seeds before the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrated our hearts and germinated that life into us, that regenerative life. And so we've got to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is foundational. This is where it all starts. Believing that Jesus is who He says He is and that He did what His Word says He did. That He came as a man, died for our sins, and rose on the third day. That He's God incarnate, God in the flesh. That's what we looked at this morning when we celebrated communion. The bread represents that Jesus had a physical body. The, the juice represents that He had blood and He died for us and shed that blood to forgive all of our sins, past, present, future. So we've got to have life. We've got to have, the second thing we looked at was stability. Germination isn't enough to make our faith stable. Storms hit us in this life. If it hasn't yet, it will. And so we've got to have deep roots. We've got to have deep roots in Christ, in the faith, in the Word of God, to help us to be able to stand firm and steadfast when the strong winds blow. We've got to have water. That was the third thing we looked at. And the water in Psalm 1 and other places in the Word of God represents the instruction that God gives us to live by. His direction for our lives. His commands. 
That's the water. We need to drink it in daily for spiritual health. That's when we're going to be able to bear that fruit and get that spiritual sap flowing. We need number four. This is the last thing we looked at last week. Light. Plants need light. They won't grow without light. We need light. We need a different kind of light. We need the light of Jesus Christ to shine on our lives. And we need to be looking at Him so that we can be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Then we had three more, and that's what we're going to get through for the first half of this message today, and then we'll go on to let go, uh, the second part. But the next three that we're going to look at today, the next three of the seven essentials for fostering much fruit are protection, community, and pruning. So let's start with protection. Number five, protection. We need protection from pests, just like trees need protection from pests and disease and blight. How many of you have heard of the apple maggot? The apple maggot is uh, a, a fly kind of insect, and it lays a larva inside, underneath the skin of an apple. That's a picture of the apple maggot larva underneath that apple. I mean, how would you like to bite into that thing and, and find that inside? That would be pretty gross. I would not want to do that. Any of you ever bite into an apple with a worm in it? Ugh, it's pretty gross. We have spiritual apple maggots in our lives. Spiritual apple maggots are, are the, the larva, the eggs of temptation and evil thoughts and anything that would take us from God's path that Satan would, would implant in our soul in our minds, in our thought life. Just like the apple maggot fly lays that parasitic egg underneath the skin, we have to guard ourselves from spiritual thinking like this because we have an enemy. We have to protect ourselves. Now, I have apple trees. I have three of them. And, and I don't tend to them like I should, but my dad, he has some apple trees that grows pretty nice apples. Um, they, they grow really good apples, but that's because the reason mine don't and his do is because I don't spray mine anymore. I, right now, I just it's not a priority in my life, and I don't do it, but he does, and I can get good apples from him, so I don't need to take care of my naughty little apples. And, uh, but he, he all, he's told me, he said, you have, to, you have to spray, he sprays some kind of oil stuff on them. He said, you have to spray as soon as the the blossoms fall, because that's when the fruit starts to grow. And that's when pests come in and, and, and lay their eggs underneath the skin. And if you have this, the fruit shielded with this oil, it'll keep the pest from coming in and laying its egg underneath the skin, and you'll have nice apples. Well, it's, it's, it's really no different for us. Only we're not spraying with any kind of, of, of pesticide spray We've got to spray our soul daily with the words of God. They are a shield to us from any kind of thoughts, temptations, anything that the enemy would seek to implant in our mind that day, and he will seek every day to implant thoughts in your minds. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, tells us, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. The truth is our protective oil. And we've got to protect our minds. I don't have, uh, 
I don't think I have this for the projector, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, I just want to read, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 10 verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Those are the, the seeds that the enemy would seek to plant in our minds, in our souls. And take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We do this by saturating our minds with the Word of God, just like you would saturate that apple with the oil that protects it from any kind of spiritual pest. So we need to do this. If we don't do it, we're opening ourselves up to evil thinking. And that's, uh, that's protecting. That's one of the seven essential requirements for fostering much fruit in your life. Number six is community. Community. Now you might think community, well, what does that have to do with fostering a lot of fruit both in real life, fruit trees, and in our spiritual lives. Well, it has a lot to do with it. I have a Chinese chestnut tree in my yard. And for about six to eight years, when, when we first moved in the property, um, we were kind of excited. I knew it was there, and I, my, it was my grandparents' home. And I, so I was there growing up a lot. And... Uh, it always had good meaty chestnuts. You know, the chestnuts have those sharp, jaggy burrs over them. But when we moved in, something changed. So the first year that thing bore fruit, bore, bore nuts, um, they were flat. Like you took them out of the burr, and the, they had the brown shell, but it wasn't like an oval chestnut. It was just flat. And you, you could cut the shell open and there was nothing. There was no fruit, no nut inside of it. And it was like that for about six or eight years. And we didn't know why. Because when I was a kid, the, the tree had nuts on it. No fruit. And then about two years ago, it, it, it blossomed. The burrs came out. The nuts grew. And they were huge, big, meaty chestnuts. And I wasn't sure what happened. Why was it like that? Well, I later found out that my cousin, who lives maybe a quarter of a mile down the road, had a couple of years earlier planted um, three chestnut trees in his yard. And they, they aged and they got old enough to where they could cross-pollinate with my chestnut tree. And that's why my chestnut tree... That, th there must have been a chestnut tree in the neighborhood earlier, and it died, and for, for all those years it was barren, but now it's bearing fruit again. And that is a, is a picture, that's an illustration of really our fruit bearing in our Christian life. Because like a chestnut tree, like a fruit tree needs other trees to cross-pollinate, we need other believers in our lives to be able to bear fruit spiritually. We can't be alone and bear fruit. We need other believers. We need a community. We need fellowship with one another in order to bear fruit in our lives. It's an essential requirement for bearing fruit. Jesus said in John chapter... Um, I'm sorry, 
No, in God's Word says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, about the early church, the first Christians, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The fellowship is, is the group of believers that they fellowship with. I heard somebody say one time when they were telling me what fellowship meant, fellowship is like two fellows in the same ship. It's, it's like more than one person gathered together on a common ground. I mean, we can have fellowship with other groups. I, I have a, a, another cousin who had fellowship with, he was in like a Harley club, and, and they rode Harleys together all the time. You might have fellowship with a hunting group, or you might have fellowship... Um, at your job, around whatever you do. This isn't talking about any of those things. This is talking about the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. We need to devote ourselves, like those early believers, to one another in order to bear much fruit in our lives. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 tell us how important it is that we do that now as the day of Jesus Christ gets closer, it says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That's, that's a part of fellowship. As, the hab- as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day, that's the day of Jesus Christ's return, drawing near. And we are closer to that day than we were yesterday. We're closer to that day than we were a year ago. We keep getting closer to that day. So our, our um, stirring one another up to, to gather and to have fellowship and to meet should be more and more frequent, not less and less. But it says in Acts, at the very beginning they gather daily. So it seems like we're kind of going down. We need, to, we need to change that so that we are increasing our fellowship more and more. So that's community. We've looked at protection from pests. We've looked at community. And the last part of this, these seven essential uh, requirements for fostering much fruit in our lives is pruning. If you want a plentiful harvest in your life, you've got to prepare to be pruned. And that's last week, Joe said, ouch, when I said that. That's, it, it's not easy. Pruning can hurt. Pruning is a cutting away of whatever it is that's interfering with God's will in our lives. John 15, 2. John chapter 15, 2, Jesus said, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear, what? More fruit. More fruit. We want to go from maybe no fruit to fruit to more fruit to much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. And a part of that process is pruning. Pruning. I, uh, I read a book with my fellowship group recently. We read it together called Secrets of the Vine, Breaking Through to Abundance by Bruce Wilkinson. And uh, in that book, um, Dr. Wilkinson was talking about moving to the country. They had lived in the city. He and his family moved to the country. And I, I just want to read this portion to you from chapter 5 because I think it It helps us to understand this idea of pruning. He says this. He says, One day, one early spring, uh, Darlene and I moved with our family to the country. 
We needed to slow down. We were looking forward to enjoying the beauty of our new place. A couple of days after we unpacked, I was puttering in my garage when I noticed my neighbor hacking down a row of grapevines that rambled along a fence on our shared property line. I had assumed that he owned the vines jointly, that we owned the vines jointly. Wasn't that how things worked in the country? We already had visions of feasting on bucketfuls of grapes in the fall. I walked over to say hi to him. My neighbor, a large white-haired man in overalls, wielded the biggest set of shears I'd ever seen. All around him lay heaps of grape branches. You don't like grapes, I guess, I said, trying to conceal my distress. Love grapes, he said. Really? Well, I, I thought maybe we could be sharing the crop from this vine, and, and I, I hesitated. Maybe I was too late to do any good. He eyed my shiny shoes. You're a city boy, aren't you? He said. Well, not exactly, but I don't know about grapes, do you? He broke in and went back to hacking the vine. I told him I, I knew I liked the taste of them, and I told him I had particularly liked the promising look of this row of grapes when I had bought the place. You like big, juicy grapes? He asked over his shoulder. Of course, my family does too, I said. Well, son, he said, we can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves filling up this whole fence line, or we can have the biggest, juiciest, sweetest grapes you and your family have ever seen. We just can't have both. That's the truth, spiritually as well. We can have a lot of big, juicy fruit in our lives, or we can have a lot of leaves and branches and dead wood that shield the sun from hitting our lives in the area that we need it to hit most so that we can bear fruit for Jesus Christ. Fruit is something that needs sunlight to grow. And when our schedules and our calendars and our lives are, are filled with things that are commitments that, that, that don't lead to fruit, things that keep us from God's will, sins that need pruned away, the sun can't get in there to bear the fruit that we need. There's a book uh, called The Backyard Homestead, and the author writes, because of the grapes' vine's tendency to grow so vigorously, a lot of wood has to be cut away each year. Grape vines can become so dense that the sun cannot reach into the area where the fruit should grow. God's purpose in pruning is to cut away the immature commitments and the, the lesser priorities and, and the sins that we're still hanging on to from our lives. Don't wait for Him to do that. He gives us the opportunity to do that. He gives us the opportunity to evaluate our lives and cut those things away. It's, it's I think, less painful if we don't wait for Him, but we do it on our own. And so I would, I would encourage us all to, to think about our lives. What do we need to cut away? What kind of extreme action can we take today think of one thing even that is that is dead wood in your life maybe it's a maybe it's a sin that it's a dead branch that opens up the whole vine to parasites and insects and gross things that can come into your life maybe it's just a, an overinflated schedule maybe we need to trim back some of that so that we can bear fruit for Jesus Christ. Don't wait for God to prune. Take action today and prune. 
because disciples disciples prune they prune because they are prolific fruit producers according to jesus words in john 15 8 bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple so one of the reasons that i think it it worked so well to finish up this message here these seven things and just go ahead on to the next one is because the next one's pretty simple and it actually builds on all of this it builds on what we just said so disciples produce but disciples l in disciple also let go disciples let go and jesus is actually taking the truth that we just talked about and he's he's pressing it a little further he's taking this idea of pruning and he's taking it to the next level he says in luke chapter 14 verse 33 so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot he's very clear not may not not it, it's cannot be my disciple so we have to ask ourselves what what are we holding on to that we need to let go of i was uh thinking about this, meditating on this this week. And I remembered a video that I had watched one time about the Makalahari people. I don't know if you've heard of the Makalahari people. Um, this is a, they're a group of people in southern Africa, in Botswana. And uh, they're very intelligent and creative in the way that they find water because they live in the Kalahari Desert. And there's not a lot of water in the Kalahari Desert. They can't just pick up a water bottle and drink. They've got to go find it, and it's, it's, it's really hard to find. But there is a way, and they figured it out. There's an animal in the Kalahari, a type of baboon, that just instinctually knows where water is. God created in this monkey some way to find water. I don't know if it can smell it. I don't know, I don't know how it knows, but... the the Makalahari people have figured out that the baboons know where the water is, so they trap the baboons, and they feed them a bunch of salt, and they put a leash on them, and they let the baboons lead them to water. It's genius. But there's also a really creative way that they have to catch these baboons, and it, and it reminds me a lot of the passage that we just read that Jesus talked about, renouncing all that we have, letting go that, of all that we have. And well, I, I want to show you a video from a, a 1974 uh, nature show that shows us how they catch the monkey. So we could play this video. Uh, there's, there should be sound to go with it. Can you, uh, it doesn't have worship music, but we're going <laughs> to... Can we, can we start that one over and see if the sound can go? All right. Interesting, right? The, the, I don't know if you could see it. The baboon wanted to know what was in that hole. He saw those beans or seeds or whatever. He wanted them so badly, he reaches in, but when he grabbed a hold of a handful, he couldn't get his hand back out because the hole was made just big enough that his hand could fit in, but it couldn't fit out. And we might think, when we watch that, that, that stupid baboon, he, all he has to do is let the seeds go and he can pull his hand out and get away and be free. But really, we're not much different sometimes than the stupid baboon because we sometimes will hold on to things that keep us from experiencing the freedom and the joy 
that Jesus Christ has for us as his disciples. We need to, to let go of whatever it may be. And this, in this case, Jesus says in Luke 14.33 exactly what we need to let go of. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce, what does it say? All. That simple, clear word, all. All that he has cannot be my disciple. You might say, I've let go of a lot of things for you, Jesus. I've let go of most things in my life for you. But maybe you still have a handful of beans. You have a handful of time that you're not giving to him. You have a handful of of sin that you still are keeping around in your life. You have a handful of some kind of possession that you're claiming hold of, that this is yours and you're not going to use it for Him. This is yours. It belongs to you. Whatever that little handful is, He's calling you to let go of it for Him. Because He says very clearly, any one of you, anyone of you, who does not renounce all that He has, cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. So this leads us to some questions. This leads us to questions like, should I sell my house? I have a title for my vehicle. That's, do I not have claim to that? I, what about my money? Should I, when they pass the basket around, should I put all of my money, 100% of my money in the basket? I mean, Jesus is saying you can't hold on to anything for yourself, right? What does this mean? Well, let's, let's take our time here. Look at this word, renounce. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to renounce? Well, renounce means, if you look in our dictionary, to formally declare one's abandonment to a claim or right of possession to something. To let go. The Greek word that we translate renounce in the English Bible means to separate from, to withdraw oneself from, to take leave of, to bid farewell to, to renounce, or to forsake. So, what does this mean? Do we, should, we, should we start a, a commune and grow our own food and, and not own anything for ourselves and sell our homes and sell our vehicles? <clears throat> Can we not own anything? Well, we have, to, we have to look at the whole context of God here to understand this. We, we've got to interpret every verse in the Bible by the whole counsel of God. And we could look at a lot of different passages, but I want to show you a passage about a guy in the Bible named Manasson. M-N-A-S-O-N. I don't know if any of you have heard of Manasson. He's only mentioned in one verse in the Bible, but this verse sheds a lot of light on the answer to these questions. Manasson is mentioned in Acts chapter 21, verse 16. Let's look at this verse. It says this. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul talking. They went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasson, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom 
we should lodge. Now, this just seems like a, a verse, a narrative verse. It's just given us a little bit of information in a bigger context, but there's a lot we can pull out of this. Manasin was a what? What was Manasin according to this verse? A disciple, right? Manasin was a disciple. Manasin had a what? A house. This is to the, to the home of the house of Manasin. Manasin shared his house and used it for the purposes of God. Manasin didn't hold on to his house, his house, it says so in the verse, and say, I'm sorry God, but I have plans for this house. You can't, I'm not going to let the other disciples stay here. This is my house. If Manasin would have said that, Manasin wouldn't be a disciple. Because disciples are called to renounce, to let go, to forsake the claim of their own to everything. This is very, a very good illustration. And we could look at others if we had time. Other apostles, Peter had a house. It's mentioned in the Scripture. He owned fishing nets. The apostle John, whom Jesus loved, had a house. When Jesus was on the cross, he said to take his mother to his house. This doesn't mean that you, we can't own anything. But this means that we can't claim it as our own. Because we are just stewards. God owns everything. He gives us things to steward over in this life. I was at a wrestling tournament last week. My, my boys do wrestling. And down about three or four rows down in the, the bleachers, there were these two little kids. I think they had an iPod or something. And, and uh, the, the, the girl was trying to get it off the boy. And the boy said, you're not the boss of me. I heard little kids say that. When we, when we hold on to something as our own and don't acknowledge it as ultimately God's property, that's what we're saying to him. You're not the boss of me. This is mine. No, it's not. None of it's ours. It's all God's. Everything that He's given you to be a steward over, including your money, including your time, including your possessions, including your family, it all belongs to Him. And that also includes something more. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, we see what that more is. God's Word says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, letting go starts with really letting go of our own life. It's, it's not even ours. We were bought. We were purchased. We belong to Jesus Christ. And if we can get this mindset locked in to where we're not holding on to this little part of our lives and keeping it separate from God, this doesn't mean that we have to go into full-time ministry and do all. Maybe it does for you. Maybe God's calling you there. But it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you have to sell your house. It doesn't mean that you have to sell your car. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. It just means that we have to acknowledge that we're not the boss of us. That God is. 
and that he gives us all of these things to be stewards over to use for his glory, even our own body, even our own lives. So this is, this is taking that pruning idea and, and, and taking it up a notch. This is everything. All, renounce all that you have. And he says that if we don't do that, we cannot be his disciple. So is it, is it possible to do that? That's a high calling. Is it even? Yes, it is possible. Because God has given us his spirit in this new life. And he promises to enable us to do whatever he calls us to do. This is a, a mindset of letting go for Jesus Christ. So God is calling us here to give up our claim to literally everything. Disciples let go of literally everything. Doesn't mean you're negligent. Doesn't mean you don't care about things. It actually means you care more about them because they're not yours. They're God's. It includes everything. Everything. This mindset will free you. I promise. This sounds restrictive. It's not. This will free you to experience true joy. If you can get, if we can get this mindset, we will walk in complete joy. We won't be looking for joy in getting our hands on all of the little handfuls of beans in this life. We let go of those things and realize that Jesus Christ is enough and it's all His anyways and we're not the boss of me then we can experience joy. Let me, let me end with this. If I could have, actually, let's have the worship team come up now because I'm going to end with a quote that I think illustrates this so well. Uh, Kevin Kubica uh, turned me on to this author, this, uh, or not author, well, it's a songwriter. But he's a musician named John Thurlow. And I, uh, I listened to a lot of his songs since Kevin told me about them a couple of weeks ago, and I really, really like his music. It's just so rich, doctrinally, spiritually. And uh, this, is what, this is what John Thurlow says. This is his songwriting testimony. He says this. John says, in late 2005, I had been at IHOP Kansas City for over a year, but I was still struggling to write songs. Music and melodic ideas would sometimes come together, but the lyrics would never come. One night the Lord spoke clearly to my heart and said to me, John, I want you to let go, let go of any music or movies that don't push your heart towards me. I remember feeling scared that I wouldn't be able to do it, but I knew it was the Lord, so I went for it. I cut up my blockbuster and Hollywood video cards. Some of you young people have no idea what that is. That was before Netflix and streaming video. You had to rent the things. So he cut them up. I deleted 99.9% of my iTunes collection and all but two CDs that I owned. And about three weeks later, I was at home on the piano and the Lord gave me a complete song idea in 10 minutes. Music and lyrics. I was shocked. I was excited. About a month after this, another song idea came. Music and lyrics again. In about 20 minutes. Over the course of six months, I had five to six songs that became my first solo album titled A Life That's Worthy. It was at the six-month mark when, my lights went, when the lights went on inside me. 
I realized that the sudden surge of worship songs that I'd written was directly connected to the decision I'd made to let go of the things the Lord was calling me to let go of. I felt the Lord saying, John, I've been trying to pour songs into you for a long time, but your heart was so full of the spirit of this age that there wasn't any room inside. Once you let go of those things, you made the room in your heart for me to pour the songs in. See, letting go isn't a legalistic sacrifice. Letting go is a means to experience the filling of the Spirit and the filling of the joy and peace and freedom that God has for each one of you. Each one of you are able to experience that. So, I ask you, at, at this last song, pray to the Spirit to reveal to you what needs pruned from your life. What, what is God calling you to let go of? And when He reveals it, take action. Because He's there to help you. We have no excuse. If He reveals it and we rely on Him, we can have this joy-filled, abundant life that Jesus is calling us to. Let's stand and sing this last song together. And as we do, look to the Lord for guidance.